Hello, welcome to A Leader Like Me podcast, where we will be amplifying diverse voices. My name is Advita Patel. And I'm Priya Bates, and we're co-founders of A Leader Like Me. We really hope you enjoy this listen. This week, we interview Dr. Anita Sanchez, who is an international consultant, trainer, speaker, and coach focusing on organizational development, inclusion and engagement, and transformational positive change. She advises executives in dozens of Fortune 500 companies, creates benchmark diversity workplace strategies and initiatives, and leads global organizational culture change initiatives with top teams around the globe. She's renowned for her strategic insights, creative intervention designs, and delivery, as well as her skill at bringing together the wisdom in the heads and hearts of individuals and their organizations. Anita wrote a book called The Four Sacred Gifts, and that's something we're going to focus on in this episode. What did you love about this episode, Advita? Oh, what didn't I love, Priya? And I know I say this about all our guests, but Anita was one of our first interviews and she just blew me away with her. You know what I loved about her? Her calmness. And it comes across in the interview. And when you listen to her, you'll know exactly what I mean. But she's just so calm and considered and focused and intentional and considering everything that she's been through, all the you know horrific things that have happened to her in, in the past and, and the experiences that she's had to go through. Where she is today and how she helps others is just absolutely mind-blowing. And I know you've read her, her book. I'm still to read the book and it's on my list to read and we'll make sure that it's in the show notes so you can check it out. But there were, even from the bits that you shared, you know, when we were chatting to Anita, it just made me think this woman is just someone I want in my life. And that's really her message despite a lot of trauma that has been experienced as a woman, as as a woman who is indigenous growing up in the United States, was what was incredible to me was how positive she was and how full of hope she is about the future that is really driven. And, And her book is about indigenous wisdom for modern times. And there's so many great parallels about what we're facing right now, which is the chaos and a little bit of the trauma, and how we can still have hope about the future. Yeah. And how to forgive the unforgivable, right? That was my biggest takeaway. And not to forgive them, but to forgive you in terms of so you can move forward. And that's something that I am taking away with me every day and I'm learning all the time. So it's something that I hope you all enjoy listening to. Please do let us know what you enjoyed about this episode follow Anita and and some of the great work that she does and all the information that you need to know is in the show notes. If you're a woman of colour who is looking to build courage and confidence, join The Nest, a safe and supportive community that will help you progress in your career. You can find out more at aleaderlikeme.com. So Anita, we're so excited to have you on the A Leader Like Me podcast, season one. And just before we get started for our audience, can you, in your own words, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, I'm a Nawa. 
which is most people know as Aztec and Mexican-American. And um, I grew up in Missouri, but live in Colorado now, which is just gorgeous here. Uh, And for 45 years now, I have given my gifts um, through business, which growing up, I never expected that. So that was very different. I grew up with a mother who babysat and a father who shoveled coal for a living and no one had degrees. So I was one of the first and definitely the first to have a master's and a PhD, which has taken me all over the world. So I say all that just to say, I feel like I'm someone who is living their dream and has been doing it for some time. And um, so whatever your circumstances, your dreams are still possible. Oh, I love that. Anita, you've always been so inspiring to me. I know from, you know, we met for the first time when I worked for HP Canada and I saw you coaching our managers uh, in uh, in a manager program uh, years ago, I think in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, and it was so meaningful for me to see a person of color and a woman leading that conversation. And, and that has been so inspiring for me. So we're so um, thankful and grateful for having you share your wisdom today. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, Indigenous Wisdom for Modern Times. You recently wrote a book called The Four Sacred Gifts, and I had the pleasure of reading it. It was, in some cases, a tough read. And in other cases, what I really loved about it is how hopeful it made me. So I'd love for you to go back and talk to me about what led to that book. Yes. Well, what led to that book was my my mother who was about to die. And what made her sad is she wanted to know her grandchildren, to know her. So I said, I'll just write your book. And so I started writing her book and then she passed away and it took me a couple of years to want to sit down and write. And as I did, her book wasn't coming through. It was mine. So I asked like forgiveness of her. I said, I'll write your book, but mine seems to be coming through. And that was a part of why that was happening is because I feel like what I always knew as a small child in dreams, what I was supposed to do and be when I grew up, that I had to do some major work of healing and and asking for help of others, just a whole lot of things that is actually the topics of my book. Uh, And so in the writing of that, it really was an amazing process uh, that allowed me to just even move further into what I thought already was a big dream coming through, working all over the world with leaders all over, but it moved it even further. So healing, forgiveness, unity, and hope are four gifts that I wrote about. And then I have to just tell you, because other people like, you think you have to plan everything out, but you don't know. So I started writing this book because of my mom. And then I'm speaking about my life and the gifts. And at this event with a couple of hundred people, afterwards, someone approached me, said that should be a book. I said, well, I've been working on writing something and it's, and then she ends up selling me on it. And it turns out she's a publisher for Simon and Sister, and um, which is the third or fourth largest book publishing company. She says that needs to be. And so that, just took it. Uh, And of course, her boss was the woman who published The Celestine Prophecy, The Secret, many great books. And she just kept saying, and so I'm saying this so that people have their own stories with this, is that your book, what I heard you speak, is going to have a 20-year tale. Don um, Ruiz, Miguel, Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements, people think was an immediate success. It took eight years 
He didn't sell that many books and then it took off. And so she's told me that. And the elders have told me that, that we, what we do sometimes will have immediate results and sometimes will be alarm to focus, but you just keep doing it as long as you know that your passion, your love is uh, the foundation of it. And it will turn out, and it's been in an international award winner, the Latino Book Award. Um, it's taken me all over the world in ceremony, but working with um, executives of companies who want to like, how, do, how does this help me? So uh, that's how it came to be. I'm grateful to my mother and my grandma because I feel like the ancestors are behind all of this. And of course, all the indigenous elders around the world who put together this prophecy and these gifts from spirit. Well, when we speak to some of our uh, members across the like me and, and some of the our wonderful members have got desires to write books and get their story out there and, and share some of their kind of, you know, background of what happened. What, you know, I know you said you started your book from wanting to write your mum's story and, and, and celebrate and, and recognise the work, stuff what happened to your mum and you ended up writing for yourself. What was that motivation that allowed you to keep going through it? Because I heard you speak at the Leader Like Me conference where you did speak about, you know, uncovering some of the trauma that you went through. So how did you get through that? You know, what kind of gave you the motivation and the encouragement to keep going through that and unpicking some of the stuff that you had gone through? Right. So part of it is that when we have hurts and mistreatments, it feels like it's our whole world. And if it's at the level of trauma, which mine were, uh, I have nine years. In, so one hand, my early childhood was just beautiful with elders and things, but I also carried a dark secret. And that was the childhood abuse that I had for nine years. And then on top of that, at age 13, my father was murdered and it was race related. Um, he he was an alcoholic and after work, he'd always get a beer and then come home. And that day, unbeknownst to him, early that day in the mid sixties, a black man and a white man were having an argument. Um, he didn't know that when he came after work and was sat there, he sat, he's dark skinned and the white man returned and just saw his profile and shot, shot three bullets through his head and killed him on the spot. Now those two things in itself sounds like, Whoa, how can you get through that? I had to even coach a therapist who said, well, you should be dead. I'm like, don't ever say that to anybody. <laughs> no, instead you said, boy, you have a reason to be here. Boy, you're really strong. And that's my message to people, regardless of how wonderful, supportive your, your years early and right up to today, or how challenging you are more than your circumstances. You know, we are these whole human beings with the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. And all of those we can put in alignment, we can heal, we can strengthen, we can then co-create and do amazing things. And that's part of what drew me even as early as my teens, because I began to realize that, wait a minute, people are seeing other things in me. I know I have these dreams that I'm supposed to connect hearts all over the world. If I just stay stuck in what happened to me, and that becomes my, not only my past, but my present, my future, it just was out of whack. So I began to do my healing work. Uh, indigenous elders, wisdom keepers began to help me work on that, as well as just using um, more modern uh, processes as well. And then in my early 20s, I'm, I'm consulting to Fortune 500 corporations already. And, and in that process of doing equity, diversity, inclusion work, I began to heal the 13-year-old who at some level believed that 
that murder of my father was only going to continue. There was, that's just what would happen. But as I heard white people, men and women share, they'd been taught that they were better than people of color, but they didn't believe that. And they still loved their parents, but they didn't believe it. They were doing other things. That allowed me then to begin to heal my own heart, my own spirit, to release those emotions, to then put my energy to now. And that's what we're all being called to do. And I think as women particularly, and as women of color, we have particular gifts that we can bring because of our perspective, our experience, and because of the ancestors through all the challenges they had, we're here. We're here, that in itself, that we're breathing, that means, that doesn't mean we don't have tough times, but we don't have to stay stuck in them. We can heal them, we can move forward, we can ask for help from each other, from the earth itself, as well as from other human beings. Oh, that, that's so amazing. I mean, I the, the first gift that really resonated with me when I read the book, Anita, was the idea, uh, the gift of forgiving the unforgivable. And I think there's something about both of those words, the fact that it's forgiveness, but recognizing that what happened could seem or feel like it's unforgivable. Right. Exactly. And, and, and it's that idea that there are some horrible things that have happened, especially, you know, as I learn more about the Indigenous communities here in Canada it, with truth and reconciliation, with uh, the murder of Indigenous women and, and the children in the, uh, in the schools, uh, you sit there and go, how can you get past that? How can you forgive that? And there, so talk to me a little bit about forgiving the unforgivable, the yes. first gift. Yes. First of all, It can happen quickly and it could take decades and there's no rushing it, but we can choose to do that. And I did that with the murder of my father and the abuse that happened to me, but it didn't happen overnight. It took a a number of years. Luckily, it didn't take a whole lifetime because by the mid twenties, my mid twenties, I was already pretty far along. Um, What it means is you're not forgetting what happened. So first of all, sometimes people think, well, how can I forget the genocide of my people? How can I I forget? You're not forgetting. You'll never forget those things, but you won't be stuck in the, in the trauma and the hurt and pain of it. Instead, the learnings can happen. Then you move to what is it I want to create? What is it that I want to do? So that's then allows us to start the businesses that we know that will be life-giving, whether we're, or if we're already in an existing corporation that, how can we be a force that is uh, uh, of support to ourselves and to other people? And that's what, that's what drives you is that you just, you know, at some level that you're more than carrying around this false thing about who you are. And I, I, I went like that because I created what I called Uh, my wall of protection. And that protection, I thought, will keep all the bad things from getting to me. And I think as people of color, we, we generally know how to do that. Because even if you had a wonderful childhood, you go out into the mass and there's all these kinds of messages about us that are shifting and changing, but they're nonetheless, they're there and we could absorb them. So you put up these walls and I did, but it kept out the good things. And as I began to do my healing, take down those walls, then I saw people come farther forward, people like all of you, like other people of color, but also white men, white women, uh, all, all different people and more and more came into my life And I realized to learn to trust. This is a big thing for us because these, what people call unforgivable, do do damage to us. 
more than we could ever do to other people. And that trust in ourselves, the trust in the sacredness of who I am as well, and the trust then as you begin to take back and trust yourself, you begin to be able to give that unconditional trust to others. And sometimes it doesn't work out, but you know what? I don't give away my my trust. My trust is always within me. And that's the, the kind of the learning I get with unforgiving the unforgivable. So it doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean that you don't seek restitution, uh, seek justice. In fact, it means that you love yourself enough to heal it, that you love all those who are part of your community, that you heal it, that you love yourself enough that you create systems and structures to stop that from happening again. And that's what's rising up now with people being more aware of Indigenous as well as Latino, because I'm Mexican-American as well, just seeing all of the incredible gifts we have and all the inequities that have existed. And in spite of those, we're still here and we have been contributing. So as we can rid more and more and people become more and more aware of those inequities, we are able to then draw on each other's gift because, oh my gosh, with the challenges we got with climate, with health inequities, uh, education, uh, economic, all of those, on and on and on again, we need all our gifts. And so what an impetus to want to do the forgiving and go on with the healing, which is the second gift. I, I mean, I think that is incredible, Anita, and I really resonated with the trust element, and I think that is critical because as soon as that trust has gone or you don't trust what the other person is saying, your defense mechanisms go up. And, um, you know, I'm speaking from experience and I'm pretty certain some of the folks who are listening in are also resonating with, with that. And I think the world we're in right now and what we have gone through with the pandemic and with the communications around that and the things that have happened and the trust that has broken with some of the governments and, you know, and some of the focus on that, I think a lot of people are really scared to let themselves go a bit more um, because they just don't know what would happen if they were to be very open, like you said. And I think, you know, when I speak to some of the members in a leader like me and when I coach around, because I coach around confidence, one of the biggest things I've noticed is that people don't believe in themselves or love themselves first. And that is a really hard thing to get over. So on that, do you have any techniques or and suggestions to anyone that's listening who's just like I want to trust and I want to forgive but I just can't seem to get over this barrier or I just can't seem to allow myself to get there is there anything that you can share with them that will help them understand yeah. how you can get past that yeah I think part of it is start with the little things start with the trusting the little things and one of the very beginning and I do it even with execs is like who feel that they have to do everything on their own and ultimately they're responsible. And how can I trust is like, okay, hold your breath. And they try, I have to I hold your breath. I won't let them turn blue, but to realize just with breath, giving gratitude for your breath and your breath isn't coming just from yourself. You are trusting our plant relatives who take the carbon, who transfer that into then oxygen. So there's this reciprocity, there's these relationships that are happening and they're happening out throughout your whole life or you wouldn't be here. So breath is just one of them. So just the practice of even in breath, slow down, pause and breathe deeply right down to your toes. Or for some, I say, imagine breathing through your heart 
And when you do that practice, you begin to start healing and realizing what's not healed and not trusted inside yourself so that then you can be healing that and be a reflection outside to be able to trust. So just the the breath, just every morning, starting with gratitude. The second practice I will say, and not everyone will do this, but I have been doing it for over 10 years. So my morning practice always had a morning practice, but for the last 10 years, I go outside when the sun rises, even if I can't see the sunrise, I know it is. And that's kind of really a message for all of us. Even if we can't see it, it is. We are worthy. We are in sacred motion. There are people who want to help us. They already are. Nature is helping us. So as the sun rises, I just give gratitude to the great mystery that I don't know it all. And I give that practice to leaders as well to just go out. Maybe you can't start at the sun, but just go say gratitude to the great mystery. There's such relief in knowing I'm not in control of everything. And we all are learning that right now. However, I can still hold the intention of being a life-giving force and move with that intention that as part of a hoop of life. So there are others. I'm never doing anything alone. So hopefully that gives some ideas of some practice that I find is very helpful in building trust, in healing, and getting rid of the illusion of separateness because some of our businesses fail. The rate of businesses is very high for entrepreneurs in terms of failure. I believe a big piece is I've worked over these four decades with people. Part of that is their worldview. Do you believe the world is a dangerous place or do you believe the world is a place where there's more than enough? And then from those belief systems helps you move into a place where you're able to ask for help, you're able to give, all the different things that are needed to make to make us be able to really, in a fullest sense, give our contributions to the world. I, I love the fact that you've talked about this hoop and the fact that it that we're all connected. And your your second sacred gift is the uh, gift of unity. And in a world right now that seems sometimes so divided, um, let's talk a little bit about the gift of unity from your perspective. Yes. Well. That's again, really, you've said it exactly, the flow into the worldview, because you either believe that we're united, interconnected, or we're separate. And so much, if you just slow down, a practice could be, what am I hearing from myself and from all the messages that are being told to me about separation, about being alone, individual, and just drop those down. And then what are the messages, the stories that I'm being told myself or from the outside that are coming in about being intimately interconnected. And I would say overwhelmingly why we're in this stuck place is because so many of the messages, you're alone, you got to do out by yourself, it's all competition. But yet the messages of indigenous wisdom is about intimate interconnection, that we wouldn't be alive without the earth, that we are part of the earth, that that our ancestors are supportive of us but also the healing that needs to happen. And that we're to think about as being in unity, not even just with the present, time is very different, but as the thought I'm thinking, the words I'm speaking, the actions I'm doing of benefit to seven generations out. And if it's not, pause. That is all of of a worldview, of a way of being in the world that's about unity. And So I think it's not telling you have to be in unity. Rather, it's just look at what what is coming to you and then you get to make choice about changing it. Now, all the science coming in 
is all about unity. We know that. We know that even at the smallest cellular level, it's interconnection. We are intimately interconnected. And this um, uh, virus that we're dealing with, again, if you're in the U.S., halfway or Canada, halfway around the world is where this began. But we, the world is one world, one hoop of life. Everything that we think, say, and do has an impact. And the more of us who do that from a place of knowing our intimate interconnection, and again, I keep repeating, a life-giving force, then our actions will follow. And last thing I just want to say, because in indigenous country, we talk to each other and watch all the people like, this is happening, so we got to do something, we got to do something, we got to do something. We are in the time of action. But the action has to be conscious. So we need to also take care of how we're being. And that's the work, some of the work that you're doing in a leader like me is how are we being so that way the doing we do will be a mirror of that because it's going to be a mirror anyway. So let's make it be one that really is a benefit. So unity, ah, we'll have to have many, much more time. So many stories of unity and breakthroughs that have happened in business uh, and in homes and, and even in the Amazon as I take people there every year is just so powerful. And so this gift of unity is one to help us create harmony and balance in our lives. Oh, I, I love that. In, in your experience, Anita, you know, what are the barriers to stop people doing, you know, because what you're sharing with us today, to me, makes perfect sense. And, you know, when I've gone through I have to admit, I haven't always, and Priya knows this about me, <laughs> that I'm not very forgiving at times, and I hold on grudges quite a lot. Um, but I have, as I've got older, I think has helped. And I think I've started to recognize when what's important and what's important, and it's more for you rather than the other person when you're doing the forgiving. But on the unity bit, what, what is the barriers? What are the barriers, do you think, or the blockers that face people that stops them moving into that space? Is there, have you, in all the coaching and the consulting you've done, is there a common theme? Is there something that, you know, that people align with or is it all very different depending on the individual? Well, I think part of it is that, um, and that's awakening is happening. A lot of the systems and structures that are put in place today are built on certain people having more privilege than others. And that under now it's being dismantled. Uh, not just dismantled by the people who have been pushed down because of that, but also by the people who realize, wait a minute, I don't, you know, my ancestors benefited from this and I love them. I love who I can, but I'm not going to continue that legacy. So they begin shifting things. So you see policies changing in, in, in business. One of the big ones that I want to say, um, so everyone has a, I, there's total rational reason why people like the unity is not happening. The big one is the worldview that we're separate. We're not intimately interconnected because why would one shoot yourself with a foot with a machine gun? If you knew that that just ripples, that's the connection to everyone. But one of the big things that's happened in business, that I'm so excited about that happened in late 2019 was the, the conference, um, the business board, Oh, I just lost the name of it. They, that they, they're the, the, the big companies. A lot of those leaders meet regularly and they came together and they redefined the purpose of business. And the, the purpose of business is to benefit the stakeholders, not just the shareholder. That in itself is already a big shift to unity that for people like us who were never seen before as part of the big business, the economic 
uh, thing that was that's happening that uh, provides for many of us and our families. But now it is because it's looking at all of us, including the earth itself, where many of the resources come from. And that this has to be in benefit so that it's not uh, a finite thing. We're not being destructive. So I just feel like into your question is look at yourself, first of all, your worldview and what you're thinking. Because unless we bring it to awareness, it's hard to, to shift anything. And then look at all the signs out here that are coming from scientists who are saying how we're intimately interconnected to uh, the changes in systems and structures that are looking at shifting things. Is it fast enough? Oh my, no. We would all like it to happen faster. But is it shifting? Yes. Do we get to be part of that shift? Yes. And part of how we do that is in unity with others, not just the ones who look like us, but also the ones who don't. And that, that is really magic when you can do that. And I've seen that many times in my career over and over again and in my family. Um, so it's possible and we can all f- draw and we can make many more examples of that unity. Oh, that's wonderful. One of the things with a leader like me, Anita, we, you know, you talked, uh, your next gift is is the gift of healing. And and I think a big part, like you just said, uh, is the fact that you have to first be aware that there's something to heal. Yes. And, and, that, uh, and, and that's both from a personal perspective and a global professional wider perspective as well. You know, it, like it's a, an important first step that as long as you don't know that there is a problem to be fixed, it's hard for you to start the healing process. You got it. That's exactly it. And, and although it's a process and there are many different ways of healing and stuff, one of the key variables is listening. So the ability to listen to yourself so that you know where something is off of alignment or broke or hurt, but also then the ability to listen externally to your coworkers, to your employees, to your bosses, to community members, that ability to not believe that you know it all, that you can hold space to really bring in to hear what others are experiencing. So that healing process requires that listening. Uh, and well, I think when we do that, then we're able to point to examples where look what happened here and look what happened here and uh, some really positive things. But it begins with ourselves and being able to listen. So that's a practice that's really important. And there's lots of different ways and models to, to begin to really refine your ability to listen. Such an important lesson. And, you know, we get, as we kind of progressing in our careers and in life, you know, it's one of the top techniques that people share with you, don't they? Especially in coaching, like, Active listen, listen actively, but it's so important to listen to yourself, like you just shared, Anita. And I think we don't often do that. Uh, and it plays a big part for us to be able to listen to others when we can listen to ourselves. So, do you know what, Anita? I could talk to you all day, and I'm pretty certain this podcast could go on for like three, four hours without any doubt. But we're going to move into the rapid fire question round, which is really, really which really isn't rapid. So don't worry. Don't That's worry about answering them, answering them quickly at all. Uh, so the first question is, who is a leader that you've admired that has inspired you? I'm taking a deep breath because generally it's always women. So women, man killer, Cherokee leader, amazing. She broke through and leading a, a huge nation of hundreds of thousands of people. Or Dolores Huerta with the um, 
you know, the United Workers fight. But today I want to say Bishop Tutu. And he just recently passed away physically, but spiritually, emotionally, he's in many of our hearts. And he attended a five-day program that I used to offer on have execs of Fortune 500 companies come to five-day diversity and inclusion. And he happened to show up, was in the later, mid, late 90s. And he was in the same hotel and a friend of mine didn't tell me. And he showed up on the second day and he spoke for seven minutes this small man with huge energy. And he talked to us about reconciliation, the work we did. He, ch- he should have gotten my fee that week because he changed everything. But after he was, he went outside the room and I and another colleague of mine went out with him and he said, I've heard you've been doing this for a long time. This reconciliation. I said, yes, we have. He said, that's really good. But I want to leave you with something with a twinkle in his eye. He said, what comes next? And he walked away. And I remember, I forever remember that. And what came next into my heart was to co-create. This isn't all just about reconciliation and healing. That's not the end game. The end game is thriving and sharing and weaving each other's gifts, braiding it, as we say in Indigenous, and then being able to then provide an even a better life for all our relations, the earth, each other, our our aunts, our, the kids still to come. So that would be... That would be the leader, Bishop Tutu, today that I would say, and he's been in my heart for a long time and will going forward as well. That's a big leader. That's amazing. Now, what is one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Yes, to trust your younger self. So in my earliest years, in my early four, up to four, I was having all these dreams these dreams of connecting hearts all over the world. That is what I've been doing. But after that age, there was a period of time that I lost faith in that because of all the challenges that were going on in my life. So many times people say, look to the wiser, older self to, to help you. Yes. And that wiser, older self say, ask for help, really listen. But also it's listening to the younger you. So if you have dreams that you've forgotten or you just let go of, think, redream them and see if they really are meant to be alive. Because that young, wise Anita of age three and four, where those dreams began, knew something that the today Anita is still honoring and just so delighted that that dream was a forever dream for me. Um, And then if you need to dream new dreams, dream those too. That's part of our capacity, which is great. Oh, I love that. Listen to your younger self. We don't often say that, do we? We always say, write a letter to your younger self rather than listen to your younger self. And I think we don't appreciate the freedom we had as children to dream. And there's always things as an adult that stops you dreaming, right? Big piece of advice I'm taking forward, definitely. And the final question is, what wouldn't we know about you just by looking at you? Well, I think people see me as, um, you know, so accomplished, eight books, um, traveling all over the world, being in ceremony with elders, but also being in C-suites and, you know, helping in all different arenas. But so part of it is I want people to understand that some days I'm like this. And for those just listening and not seeing, I'm pulling my hair out. Uh, 
away from me. And that's part of understanding we're human beings. So it isn't all perfect and packaged. And I think the degree to which we share authentically with ourselves, the, the wonderful wisdom, beauty, inspiring, but also the challenges and difficulties and the things that still pop up, that allows us then to not just put people on pedestals and go, that can't be me. Instead of like, wow, I heard this woman, Anita, and she pulled out her hair, but I know what that feels like. And she's saying she has times like that. Yeah, that's, that's really what I see is that really be authentically you, um, you know, and that to understand that even in those challenges and any facts of the contrary, you are far more and you are needed here. You are worthy. You are sacred. You have gifts to give in every sector. I just know that. I just know that to be true. It's just a matter of you believing that and then seeking the listening inside and getting the help that you need to move forward. And we need that. What, what an incredible uh, time we've had with you, Anita. You know, to, to close this off, your final gift was the gift of hope. So I want you to share with us as we close this wonderful interview that could go on for forever because we just are so inspired uh, with you. You're a leader like me. You're a leader like you and you're unique. Um, what gives you hope despite the fact that we've gone through uh, so many challenges you know, personally and and globally uh, in the last few years? What gives you hope? Well, what gives me hope is that I can see the shifting. It may not be as big as I said, but I see shifting. I see when we saw George Floyd's murder, the people of all different races all over the world coming together. We see policemen doing some shifting. There's always pushback on things, but we see the shifting happening. I see more and more women of color starting their own businesses. Uh, and that makes me so excited. And I see indigenous people who were thought of mostly when I would show up in places and go, wow, we thought you were dead or I don't, never known an indigenous person and things like that. But to realize though, no, we're here. You know, the, there were uh, processes trying to get rid of us, but we're still here. And what they forgot is, you know, we're seeds. We're seeds of those who came before. So what gives me hope is all in everything from our ancestors give me hope, from what's happening today with older people, indigenous elders, but also the young people with great wisdom coming in. And what gives me hope is people finally to realize, including business, stakeholders, that means the earth, that means we have to care for the earth. It's not a finite resource. It's part of us. And why would we do damage to ourselves? Why not instead have hope in action, spread love and care to all our relations in this one hoop of life? What a wonderful, wonderful note to end this incredible interview. Thank you so much, Anita. If people want to connect with you, where is the best place they're going to find you? I think the best place is to go to foursacredgifts.com. That's F-O-U-R, sacredgifts.com. There you can learn all lot more about what you talked to me about, this book and these gifts, but also has there where you can go to my press kit. You can also go to my corporate and business work and other things, but foursacredgifts.com. Please go there. There's some free gifts there for you, a webinar and ebook to help you continue like leader like me's commitment to help you be who you're meant to be in the world in all the beauty and all the wonder and so thank you for asking me that, foursacredgifts.com. 
Thank you, Anita. And we'll make sure we share Anita's link in our show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time, Anita. We're so grateful. Thank you.